Welcome to Creative Biolabs. 100% of the effort, 100% of the service. As a dynamic contract research organization, we are based in New York and serve the whole world. Our seasoned scientists are skilled in antibody discovery, antibody engineering, and biomanufacturing solutions. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode on gene therapy. So in the last show, we talked about the basics of gene therapy. And for today's show, we again invited our researcher Steve, to continue this interesting topic. Thank you for joining us, Steve. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here again. So in today's program, I plan to talk about therapeutic nucleic acid, in gene therapy. Sounds good. Can you first briefly tell us, what a therapeutic nucleic acid is? Yes. The term gene therapy actually refers to the wide range of applications of nucleic acids for treatment. So you can guess, a therapeutic nucleic acid, is a nucleic acid used for treatment. So can every type of nucleic acid be used for therapy? I mean there are so many kinds of nucleic acids, or is there a particular type of nucleic acid we should be looking for? Right. So we basically are looking at two categories of nucleic acids, that can be used in gene therapy. They are protein-coding DNA sequences, and non-coding nucleic acids. Protein-coding DNA sequences mainly include, the DNA sequence that the expressed protein can substitute missing or mutated cellular proteins, modulate cellular functions or regulate cell survival in apoptosis. The DNA sequences coding for secreted factors and cytokines. The DNA sequences coding for viral or tumor cell antigens. The DNA sequences coding for antibodies and protein coding genes, including variants of the T-cell receptor, used to modify the target specificity of T-lymphocytes. Non-coding nucleic acids mainly include, oligonucleotides, modified oligonucleotides, catalytic RNAs and DNAs, small regulatory RNAs, long antisense RNAs, decoys and aptamers. So can the entire protein coding gene be used for treatment? Oh no! I mean, in reality, in human cells, the average size of protein coding genes is tilde 27 kilobits. That is longer than the maximum length, fitting the most common gene delivery systems. For this reason, gene therapy is most commonly based on the transfer of seediness, or their protein coding portion. But not to be used for treatment, doesn't mean that the nucleic acid encoding protein portion cannot be expressed. Oh yeah, they can be expressed. Both cDNAs and their coding portions need to be transcribed from promoters. However, natural promoters are commonly too large to be used. In order to make the gene-stable expression, and its expression level easy to control, we need to choose appropriate promoters, such as tissue-specific promoters and ducible promoters. And in many cases, the expression level of protein does not need to be strictly controlled. For example, in the case of proteins replacing missing cellular functions, in the hereditary disorders of metabolism, or antigens for anti-cancer vaccination, or secreted antibodies. In these cases, transfer of the protein coding region under the control of a strong promoter, such as the promoter, for the cytomegalovirus immediate early genes, is adequate. How can we use the genes that include variants of the T-cell receptor for treatment? You know, the gene that is mainly used to modify the target specificity of T-lymphocytes. So in both viral infection and cancer, a potentially powerful therapeutic approach, would consist in the ex vivo activation of the patient's CD8-positive cytotoxic T-cells, reacting against specific viral or tumor antigens. Followed by their reinfusion in vivo, 
a procedure known as adoptive immunotherapy. This can be achieved by modifying the specificity of any cytotoxic T cell by transducing these cells with the genes coding for a T cell receptor of choice, and it's more efficacious than recovering the endogenous antigen-specific cytotoxic T cells, which are usually limited in number. The simplest manner to confer T cell receptor specificity to T lymphocytes is to transfer the genes encoding the specific T cell receptor alpha and beta chains into T lymphocytes. These genes can be obtained from a previously selected natural cell clone. But since we always talk about shortcomings, and most definitely, this method also has its share of shortcomings. The exogenously introduced T cell receptor molecules might form a complex with those endogenously expressed by the T cells, thus generating TCRs with different and potentially undesired specificity. Is there a solution to this problem? I'm happy to report, yes, there is. We can take some measures to modify the specificity of the T cell receptor. For example, we can use single-chain TCRs, which can prevent mispairing between alpha and beta chains. I want to jump to another topic here. So you know the application of genetic vaccines has also been widely discussed in recent years. Can you also give us an introduction on these genetic vaccines? Sure. DNA-based vaccination, also known as genetic vaccination, is a growing field of gene therapy applications. It uses gene transcription to activate the immune system. By the delivery of genes coding for immunomodulatory cytokines, or by antigenic presentation required co-immunostimulatory proteins into cancer cells. It uses gene transcription to activate the immune system by the delivery of genes coding for immunomodulatory cytokines or by antigenic presentation required co-immunostimulatory proteins into cancer cells. The antigen gene can be transferred using naked plasmid DNA, sometimes using physical methods such as the gene gun approach, or in the context of one of the several available viral strains such as adenovirus or vaccinia virus or bacterial strains, such as attenuated salmonella strains. Conventional vaccination strategies are mainly based on the administration of either attenuated or inactivated microorganisms or on protein antigens. And we see genetic vaccination offers several advantages over conventional vaccination strategies, such as relative safety, reduced cost, and the possibility of prolonged storage. Cancer and HIV-1 infection are among the disorders in which genetic vaccination is most commonly considered. And what we have discussed so far was all about protein-coding DNA sequence. Let's now switch gears and focus on non-coding nucleic acids. Can you tell us how oligonucleotides and modified oligonucleotides are used for treatment? Sure. Oligonucleotides are short, chemically synthesized, usually single-stranded DNA molecules with 15 to 100 nucleotides of length. The use of these oligonucleotides is based on the intrinsic property of a DNA strand to pair with its complementary sequence. They can exploit base pairing between the oligonucleotides and a target RNA sequence or modulate pre-mRNA splicing to block gene expression. The essential problems limiting the application of oligonucleotides in vivo are their limited tissue distribution, cytotoxicity, and mostly, low stability. To overcome this problem, and thus increase the bioavailability of these molecules in vivo, we have seen many new ways that have been used to alter the structure of oligonucleotides by introducing various chemical modifications. And the mechanism of action of modified oligonucleotides is not much different from that of oligonucleotides. 
oligonucleotides and modified oligonucleotides seem to be able to play a very broad spectrum of roles. Any results of them on clinical trials? Well, we definitely see a lot of experiments done in the field of oligonucleotides in the past 30 years. But, the overall efficiency of these molecules as tools for gene therapy is still not ideal. I only see a few encouraging results, and there are still some problems to be solved. I hope these problems can be soon resolved. Can you also introduce us to small regulatory RNAs? Which is also an inseparable part of gene therapy. Yeah. I remember at the end of the 1990s, an unexpected molecular phenomenon was identified in the worm Cenorhabditis elegans. A double-stranded RNA molecule with one of the strands complementary to a target mRNA was able to induce silencing of expression of that mRNA. And it's much more effective than single-stranded DNA, both sense and antisense. The research found that this phenomenon is part of a broader mechanism of regulation, collectively known as RNA interference, or RNAi. The double-stranded RNA molecules that activate RNAi can be generated by one of at least two pathways, the microRNA and the short interfering RNA pathways. MicroRNAs are generated by the cells, from specific RNA transcripts forming stem loop structures. The genes coding for these transcripts are localized, within introns of protein-coding genes, or in intergenic regions. Unlike microRNAs, small interfering RNAs, are generated from longer precursor double-stranded RNAs, which can be endogenously introduced into the cells, or produced endogenously. You mentioned, in the very beginning, the term decoy, what does that mean? It refers to small DNA or RNA molecules, containing the same binding site of a DNA or RNA binding protein. Thank you Steve for your time introducing us to such an interesting topic. I hope everyone has benefited a lot from today's program. My pleasure.